Hello and welcome to 2021's Fellows Choice podcast, where we will outline the highlights of June's issue of the International Journal of Gynaecological Cancer. I'm Anna Collins from the University Hospitals of Leicester in the United Kingdom. And I'm Irina Tebulak from the University Hospital of Innsbruck in Austria. Financial toxicity describes the financial hardship and associated distress that patients with cancer experience due to the costs of care. It can be measured by the 11-item Comprehensive Score for Financial Toxicity Tool. The cost score can range from 0 to 44, with lower scores indicating more severe financial toxicity. Catherine McKinley Esselen et al. conducted a multi-institutional analysis of previously collected survey data concerning gynaecological cancer patients from Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Centre from October 2017 to March 2018 and the University of Alabama at Birmingham from April 2018 to January 2019. The aim of this study was to evaluate the frequency of financial toxicity at different cost levels and to measure the association of financial toxicity with meaningful cost coping strategies, including economic behaviour changes and medication non-compliance. The authors defined three levels of financial toxicity. No or mild, cost equals 26. Moderate, cost score 14 to 25. And severe financial toxicity, cost score 0 to 13. The results showed that the median household income was $87,500 at BIDMC compared with $40,000 at the University of Alabama in Birmingham. Financial toxicity, or a cost score less than 26, affected nearly half of patients with gynaecological cancer and is associated with the use of economic cost coping strategies. Patients with severe financial toxicity, 14.9% of this cohort, were also at increased risk for use of behavioural cost coping strategies measured by medication non-compliance. Sadie Jones and colleagues present an international survey evaluating techniques for inguinofemoral lymph node dissection in vulval cancer. A 10-question survey was developed following a comprehensive literature review identifying five key domains associated with variants in guinofemoral lymph node dissection, such as skin incision, surgical drains, approach to saphenous vein, compression dressings and skin closure techniques. 259 responses from 18 countries were received. 91% of respondents performed a modified oblique incision routinely dissected the saphenous and deep and guinofemoral nodes. 88% spared the saphenous vein, 65% of respondents used prophylactic antibiotics at skin incision and clothed the skin with sutures only, 67% do not routinely use compression dressings and 93% of surgeons place a drain at the time of surgery and patients are commonly discharged with drain in situ. 59% of respondents wait for drainage of less than 30 to 50 milliliters in 24 hours prior to removal. This study demonstrated significant international variability in inguinofemoral lymph node dissection among gynecologic oncology surgeons. Amy Jamieson and colleagues present a review on P53 abnormal endometrial cancer. 
Over the past decade, the understanding of endometrial cancer has changed dramatically from the two-tiered clinico-pathologic classification of type 1 and type 2 tumours through to the four distinct molecular subtypes identified by the Cancer Genome Atlas. Most P53 abnormal endometrial cancers are serous type and high grade, but it also includes other histotypes and lower grade tumours and has consistently been associated with the poorest clinical outcomes. Although it only accounts for 15% of all endometrial cancer cases, it is responsible for 50-70% to of endometrial cancer mortality. A better understanding of the molecular alterations in the P53 abnormal subgroup beyond the ubiquitous and definitional TP53 mutations is required so that better treatments can be identified for these most aggressive endometrial cancers. Recent evidence has shown improved survival outcomes with the addition of chemotherapy compared with radiation alone in P53 abnormal endometrial cancers. Opportunities for targeted therapy may include PARP inhibitors for the proportion of P53 abnormal endometrial cancers known to have homologous recombination deficiency, anti-HER2 therapy for tumours with HER2 overexpression, mTOR inhibitors for tumours with PIK3CA mutations, WE1 inhibitors and immunotherapy. Ali Ayhan and colleagues retrospectively evaluated the impact of COVID-19 pandemic and related restrictions on patients who underwent cytoreductive surgery in HIPEC for ovarian cancer in three gynecologic oncology centers in Turkey. Primary outcomes were postoperative 30-day morbidity and mortality. The secondary outcome was COVID-19 infection of patient and or related staff during the perioperative or early postoperative period. Authors performed a total of 35 HIPEC procedures during the pandemic. There were 15 patients who underwent primary or interval surgery, while 20 patients had recurrent disease. Grade 3 to 4 complications occurred in one patient, while mortality did not occur in any patient. Neither the patients nor related staff were infected with the coronavirus during the perioperative or early postoperative period. One patient who was diagnosed with COVID-19 pneumonia on postoperative day 80 died from the infection. Another patient died on postoperative day 85 due to progressive ovarian cancer, a disorder in vital functions and organ failure. Authors conclude that HIBEC seems to be safe and feasible procedure during the COVID-19 pandemic showing acceptable morbidity and mortality rates. Elizabeth Spenard and colleagues present a video to describe a step-by-step -step surgical approach to conducting endocyanine green fluorescence angiography perfusion assessment for side-to-side -side and end-to-end -end circular anastomoses, following bowel resection for gynaecologic malignancies. This video was made using recordings from multiple patients operated between 2017 and 2020. Examples of normal and abnormal perfusion are shown in the video. The authors conclude that endocyanine green fluorescence angiography allows for standardised, reproducible and objective assessment of anastomotic perfusion and may decrease post-operative morbidity following bowel resection in gynaecological cancer surgery. 
Dimitrios Nasiudis and colleagues reported the results from a retrospective national cancer database study investigating the role of adjuvant radiotherapy in patients with FIGO stage 1b, cervical cancer with intermediate risk factors, negative surgical margins, and negative lymph nodes. 49% of a total of 765 patients received adjuvant radiotherapy. The study showed that there was no difference in overall survival between patients who received and did not receive adjuvant radiotherapy. This result was confirmed also after controlling for patient age, histology and surgical approach. Authors conclude that there is a strong need for an already designed prospective randomized trial in this setting. Bolo Mini and colleagues from Policlinico Gemelli in Rome, Italy present an educational video in which they analyse the ultrasound, macroscopic and histological features of two ovarian epithelial cancers. The first case is a 45-year-old woman diagnosed with a bilateral adnexal mass by transvaginal ultrasound in the context of a routine checkup. CA125 and CA19.9 were elevated. Transvaginal ultrasound performed by an expert showed a left multilocular solid tumour of 7 cm in size, with low-level content and a large central solid component of 4 cm in size with a cockade-like appearance. A right multilocular solid tumour of 5 cm in size was also seen with the same features. Both lesions were richly vascularised. The IOTA ADNEX model showed an increased risk of malignancy with highest relative risk for either borderline ovarian tumour or stage 1 ovarian cancer. After a complete staging surgery, the final histology report was positive for endometrioid ovarian carcinoma grade 2 FIGO stage 1b. The second case was a 54-year-old female patient who was transferred to the referral centre due to the diagnosis of a 7cm pelvic mass in the context of abdominal tenderness. CA125, CA19.9 and CA15.3 were elevated. Transvaginal ultrasound showed a left multilocular solid tumour with less than 10 locules of 7cm in size with low level content, irregular internal walls and the presence of multiple papillary projections alongside a solid component of 4 cm in size with moderate vascularity. The IOTA ADNEX model showed an increased risk of malignancy with highest relative risk for stage 2 to 4 ovarian cancer, ORADS5. Again, after a complete staging surgery, the final histology report was positive for ovarian clear cell carcinoma, FIGO stage 3A. Nesiudis and colleagues compared survival outcomes between patients diagnosed with a stage 3C endometrial carcinoma who underwent sentinel lymph node biopsy only versus comprehensive lymphonodectomy using the National Cancer Database. 92% of patients underwent systematic lymphonodectomy and 7.6% underwent sentinel lymph node biopsy only. The rate of sentinel lymph node biopsy only for patients with positive lymph nodes was 2% in 2012, 5% in 2013, 
in 2013, 5.5% in 2014, and 15.4% in 2015. Patients who had sentinel lymph node biopsy only were less likely to receive chemotherapy alone and more likely to receive radiation therapy alone. Rates of chemoradiation were comparable in both groups. There was no difference in overall survival between patients who had sentinel lymph node biopsy only and systematic lymphonodectomy, and three-year overall survival rates were 82% and 79% respectively. The sentinel lymph node biopsy technique emerges as a less invasive alternative approach to endometrial cancer staging, sparing patients from the significant morbidity associated with systematic lymphonodectomy. Jani and colleagues present a retrospective cohort study evaluating whether the chemotherapy response score could act as a prognostic indicator following interval debulking surgery in advanced endometrial cancer. 40 patients with stage 3 or 4 endometrial cancer who received neoadjuvant chemotherapy and interval debulking surgery with available pathological specimens from the primary and metastatic sites were included. Chemotherapy response scores were assigned to amental and adnexal metastases and characterised as no or minimal, partial and complete or near-complete response to neoadjuvant chemotherapy. Partial or complete response in the omentum was associated with improved progression-free and overall survival, whilst partial or complete response in the adnexo was associated with improved progression-free survival. Improved chemotherapy response scores were associated with increased likelihood of complete cytoreduction. This score may be a prognostic indicator which could be used to help guide first-line treatment of advanced endometrial cancer. Thanks for listening to June's Table of Contents podcasts. We hope you tune in again next time.